From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where Michelle discusses the issues of the day with The Conversation's politics team. Hi, my name's Amanda Dunn. I'm the Politics and Society Editor for The Conversation and I'm speaking with Michelle Grattan. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amanda. It's like the salt mines here in this last parliamentary week. (laughs) I bet it is. All the big scramble in the lead up to Christmas. Uh, Michelle, Scott Morrison was formally censured in the Parliament today for the multiple ministry scandal. This was notable for two reasons. One was Morrison's defiant response and the second was Bridget Archer's courageous stance. Can you tell us what happened? Well, Bridget Archer is a Tasmanian Liberal and uh, she has taken stands before on this question of integrity in the last Parliament. But I did think that in her very brief, succinct speech, she really put things together very strongly today and it was quite courageous that uh, she voted for this censure motion because this was a, a pretty big moment. Scott Morrison's the first former Prime Minister ever to be censured by the Parliament and essentially what Bridget Archer was saying was that uh, she wasn't convinced by the explanation he'd given in the Parliament and she was uh, dismayed by the lack of an adequate apology or indeed any apology. So she set out the issues uh, pretty clearly. Does this make a difference to anything, Michelle? Well, no, it doesn't make a difference in that it doesn't carry any formal sanction. Still, no former Prime Minister would want to be having on their record that there'd been a parliamentary censure against them. So uh, in in that sense, it's not a good thing to happen to you. And of course, there's politics in this too. Labor wants to keep the emphasis on Morrison and by association that it hopes will throw some discredit onto the opposition. And of course, the opposition had a difficult job today. It tried to defend the former Prime Minister to an extent, but I think that uh, it really wished it didn't have to do so. And it was notable that Peter Dutton did not speak in this debate. All right, and on to some matters of policy. The government's trying to tie up some loose legislative ends before the summer break. The Corruption Commission legislation passed today and the government's also struck a deal with David Pocock to get its industrial relations reforms through. How significant are these wins and what will be next on its agenda? I think they are very significant and there were a number of other pieces of legislation that have been passed in recent days as well or will be by the end of this week. But uh, the Industrial Relations Bill and the anti-corruption new body are obviously major initiatives by this government. The integrity body, of course, was uh, a big debate and a big promise at the election. And the Industrial Relations Bill contains major changes to the wage-fixing system and a number of other measures too. The government is very anxious to say that it's fulfilling its major election promises or indeed all its election promises as fast as it can and the Prime Minister is... I think pretty happy at how this year is ending up, especially after that deal on the IR bill with crossbencher David Pocock, because for a while it looked as though that legislation mightn't get through this year. 
And I think that uh, we'll see next year uh, another raft of uh, legislative measures and we'll, of course, see the detail of the implementation of uh, Labor's climate policy and uh, other things. I think that certainly the Prime Minister wants to maintain the very fast trot that uh, he's established so far. And Michelle, the other big news story around this week has been that on Monday, the Nationals announced they would not support the voice to Parliament, which means they will be voting no in the referendum, which is due sometime in the next year. How significant is this and does it put the Liberal Party in a difficult position given that they are coalition partners? It is significant in that passing referendums is very, very difficult in this country and therefore if there's significant opposition to a proposal it just means that the hurdle is that much higher and of course to get through you've got to get not just an overall majority but a majority of states on side. So I think that uh, it is a blow for the government that the nationals have come out, although the nationals themselves are divided. For example, the Western Australian nationals say they'll support the referendum. As for the Liberals, Peter Dutton told the party room this week that uh, they were not ready to make a decision. I think that he's in a difficult position because the Liberal Party is divided and therefore whatever is done in the end will be not supported by some of their rank and file and some of their politicians. So it's a dilemma for Peter Dutton and he's not going to rush into a decision. John Howard is obviously, incidentally, opposed to this. At one stage, there was a suggestion of people, Liberal members, just going their own way for or against. John Howard said in a recent interview that would be a very bad idea and uh, he made it clear that he thought that the base of the party was against this referendum. We now understand that the vote will be held in the latter part of next year, 2023. So there's still a long way to go. But I think that the government is aware that this is going to be a tough fight, not only because you're getting division in the political parties, but also Indigenous leaders themselves are divided. So it's going to be a big battle of persuasion for the government to get this done and dusted. One contribution that's come out today that I should mention is uh, Ken Wyatt, the former Liberal Minister for Indigenous Australians, and he's strongly in favour of a voice to Parliament. So the debate at the moment, uh, Amanda, is all over the place. But this will be the big social issue that the government will have on its agenda in 2023. Yes, all right. And Michelle, the Victorian election last weekend, hard to believe it was last weekend, to be honest, feels like it was already a month ago, but it resulted in a resounding win for the Andrews Labor government and a pretty devastating rejection of the Victorian Liberal Party. Are there any lessons in this for the federal Liberals? And more importantly, are they likely to learn them? I mean, they've had two very, very bad election results, the federal election in May and now the Victorian election just last weekend. I think that the lessons for them are pretty obvious that they've got to get into better touch 
with the electorate and especially with the younger part of the electorate, uh, those who are under 40, and that connection is going to be quite difficult to build. Also, of course, they have various constituencies that they need to win, and the obvious divide is between how you appeal to the outer suburban voters and also to the inner urban voters, those who've gone to the Teals, and so a whole lot of seats there need to be won back. Now, the interests of those two areas can be quite different with the outer suburban people more interested in cost of living and tangible financial issues, while the um, inner city people are often more concerned with issues like climate integrity and things of that nature. Reconciling those various constituencies is obviously the challenge, but actually meeting that challenge is not so easy. And of course, the Liberals have to win back the female vote, which used to be pretty solid for them in earlier decades and and now has, of course, dramatically eroded. So they have many problems. I think there are, or many of them are aware of the extent of the problems. But as I say, actually finding answers to those problems is another matter. All right, Michelle, terrific to talk with you as always. Thanks very much. Thanks, Amanda. Our theme music is by Blue Dot Sessions. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.